Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get started. I think we're we're right at our time, and uh, people are still there's a few more that'll come on in. Um, welcome everyone to the Genetic Engineering Society Center's weekly seminar colloquium. I'm very excited for our two speakers today uh, that are Ag BioFuse students. Uh, we're going to have another Ag BioFuse student introduce them. And before Chris gets started, I just wanted to remind everyone that we will be uh, meeting virtually again next Tuesday. We're going to have Dr. Karen Mash from the Hastings Center talk about ethics in chimeric research. And then the following um, colloquium will be in person on February 7th, and that will be with Dr. John Allen and an iBioFuse fellow, Rebecca Brown. Uh, that will be talking to us, and that will be in the co-building. That will, that will be recorded, but that won't be uh, live streamed. So just a few reminders of our new format. And again, thank you for coming. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I'm going to give you the microphone. Awesome. Thank you so much, Don. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our third GS Colloquium. Today, we are here to listen to a talk on reunion, preparation, reconfiguration, knowledge, and techno services for living together, brought to us by our very own Jill Ferguson and Sebastian Zarate. Our scholars recently attended a trilingual SCS conference that was conducted in Spanish, Portuguese, and English. The goal of this conference actually involved diversifying SCS to other regions in the world, such as Latin America. As Ag Biofuse scholars, they focused their attention on topics related to genetic engineering, governance of emerging technologies, agriculture, and conversations and participatory methods. Sebastian Zarate is a PhD student at NC State's Forestry and Environmental Resources Department. Sebastian comes from Peru with a background in social sciences. He is interested in science and technology policy in Latin America, sustainability, emerging technologies, natural resources, and the environment. Jill Ferguson is a first-year PhD student in the Department of Forestry and Environmental Resources at NC State. Her current research explores how broader stakeholder engagement can support more inclusive decision-making around the evaluation of new environmental biotechnologies, such as genetically engineered GE American chestnut tree. At the request of our speakers, I would like to ask the audience for one minute of silence in solidarity with human rights victims in Peru. Please join me. Thank you, and please help me in welcoming our speakers, Jill Ferguson and Sebastian Zarata. All right, thank you so much, Chris, and good afternoon to everyone. All right, we'd like to start by acknowledging the Ag Biofuse program for supporting us in our travel and participation in this conference, um, as well as the GES Center for hosting us today. And next slide, please. All right, the 4S conference is held each year in order to bring together researchers, students, and other practitioners who are exploring topics in science, technology, and innovation. Uh, and they're exploring those topics across different settings. Um, those may be cultural, economic, social, political, other. Uh, and this year's conference, lucky for us, <laughs> was held in Cholula, Mexico. Um, although it was a hybrid conference with people participating both in person uh, and online. And next slide. All right, I'd like to set the stage a bit here with a, a mini deep dive into STS. I know that some of you are intimately familiar, but there's probably a spectrum of familiarity out there. Um, so science and technology studies is an interdisciplinary academic field. Um, it is both a body of knowledge as well as a theoretical base. Uh, it brings together the perspectives of humanities um, and the emphasis on interpretive inquiry, qualitative methods um, that includes from history, philosophy, ethics, the social sciences, and it combines that with the various fields of science, um, including technology, engineering, and medicine. Um, it serves as a kind of bridge 
or really more of a network between the humanities and the natural sciences and acknowledges that there are limits to purely rational scientific analysis of complex issues. Um, next slide, please. Um, it, STS research explores the cultural and social impacts of science and technology and is a field of study that is merging different branches of scholarship. Uh, STS practitioners respond uh, uniquely to complex issues that face society is facing, uh, whether those are in government, politics, industry, such as agriculture, um, or in our day-to-day -day lives. Next slide. All right, here are some examples of research areas and topics. Um, they include studies of governance, policy, public engagement, the production and use of science and technology. Um, and these broad questions below, um, they're drawn actually directly from Harvard's STS webpage, and they're just a small subset of the broader questions. Um, but you may note that STS does not shy away from the normative. Um, how should states set priorities? Who should participate? Should life forms be patented? How should societies measure? Um, so these types of questions and research areas certainly don't belong to STS alone, uh, but STS scholarship provides frameworks and tools and approaches for building a body of knowledge around them. Um, and now Sebastian will talk more about the conference itself. Yeah, so uh, thank you for, you know, introductions and, and everything. So um, what is really interesting about this conference, as we mentioned before, is that it was a conference in English, Spanish, and Portuguese, right? This means that uh, a lot of the panels and a lot of the people, you know, making presentations, uh, we were asked to kind of um, think about that and include a translation in each of our, you know, uh, presentations to kind of like allow different uh, uh, people with different backgrounds and, you know, uh, languages to, ask questions, you know, to, to participate in general. And this uh, in theory sounded very, you know, good, but in practice was kind of complicated because uh, a lot of people, you know, used uh, uh, different ways of translating and not necessarily a lot of people, uh, like the participation does, does not necessarily increase a lot, but I think it was a good challenge for, for scholars, especially thinking about, you know, other countries and including different, you know, backgrounds. So this conference is important because it's the second conference that is hosted in a Latin American country. The first one was in Argentina, Buenos Aires in 2014. So this is seen as a second uh, conference hosted in a, in a, a country in Latin America, right? So um, we made a list of all the conference in the past 10 years or so. And then we realized that uh, most of the most of the you know most of the conferences were uh, hosted in in countries located in the north, right? And uh, a lot of the conference also uh, were hosted in the U.S. So that's that's why I think there's a, a kind of like an intention to bring these types of conference to other countries as well. So. Uh, what what is the topic of, of the conference each, each year? This is a conference that is held each year. So the topic changed a, a little bit. So this year, the focus was on care, responsibility, and action. And the idea of re reunion, uh, it was highlighted a lot because it meant an opportunity to kind of build or rebuild these bridges that Jill um, was talking earlier. So, uh, uh, the conference uh, host acknowledged this idea of like coming together because people have been apart from from uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, the pandemic, other types of you know different reasons, and this conference was seen as opportunity to bring different people together, right? Uh, so this is why um, in the in the context of STS scholarship and you know community, the importance is to understand how the knowledge you know circulates around different uh actors stakeholders and how it's related to economic political social and power structures that's that's uh that's the key topic of of a conference and the venue cholula cholula is uh 
a town in Mexico located in, in Puebla. Uh, it's two hours from Ciudad de Mexico. And the idea of, of choosing Cholula was to not only uh, focus on the on you know different countries in Latin America, but also focus on 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 places that kind of show the complexity of 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 for example uh, uh, people with different cultural backgrounds. So Cholula and other cities in Latin America are the you know where express this complex uh, complexity between you know the Spanish conquest and indigenous populations. Uh, and local culture, right? So it that's that's how it is it is important to, to acknowledge these different cities that have this, this historical background, right? So people in the conference as as well as in other you know places in the world, it's it's a mixed place. People speak different languages and have different interests. So it's it's kind of an opportunity to acknowledge the difference and come together to um uh, to debate, uh, to propose uh, different ideas, right? So that's that's the that was the 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 key uh, topic of the conference. Um, so talking more about uh, the panels and the, and the topics, uh, I think this was uh, sorry, this was Jill's uh, slide. Sorry, Jill, go ahead. I'm happy to <laughs> um, hear your perspective on it, but. Uh, so we, and just a note on what Sebastian was just saying, we could have talked about Cholula this whole time. Um, it was a really special place, um, but we both agreed we should focus on the conference. Uh, but if you have a chance to visit, it was a, a wonderful spot for this conference. Um, but yes, so uh, with over 140 possible panel topics, we as presenters were then tasked with finding uh, the panel that was the best fit for our presentations. Um, so some of the major themes are listed here. I'm always interested to hear and how people approach conference participation. Um, you know, how do you navigate when there are so many pa panels calling for your attention and it's just not possible to attend them all? Uh, but we identified those major themes that were most relevant to our work. Um, and then we also attended sessions in which the panel organizer was somebody whose work that we really valued or were interested in um, or had some other personal connection to. Uh, and so now, next slide. Uh, and I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that this transition is a bit awkward because we're now going to shift gears from talking about the presentation or the conference itself to talking about our presentations um, by giving you just a little mini, mini version of them. Um, so please bear with this. Uh, the title of my talk was an analysis of the Gene Convene Global Collaboratives discussion panels on stakeholder engagement and gene drive research. Uh, next slide. So back in 2021, the Gene Drive Research Forum, which is a collaboration between the Gene Drive, or excuse me, Gene Convene Global Collaborative, the FNIH, and the Genetic Biocontrol of Invasive Rodents, uh, they hosted a series of virtual panel discussions online. Uh, each panel was designed to provide an opportunity for social scientists, as well as researchers and developers, uh, funders, NGOs, other stakeholders that are interested in gene drive technologies. Um, it was an opportunity for them to get together to explore social science theories on stakeholder engagement. And yeah, there were five panels. Uh, each panel discussion was centered around gene drive and the potential future applications of gene drives. Uh, although much of the conversation is relevant to uh, a host of emerging biotechnologies. Um, again, I imagine there is a spectrum of familiarity here with gene drive. So briefly, uh, the average gene in a sexually reproducing organism, such as a mosquito, uh, has a 50% chance of being inherited by any offspring. Uh, in a gene drive, that specific gene or a set of genes is altered in some way that it is inherited nearly 100% of the time. Um, so the altered gene can then spread through a population over generations, um, even if that gene does not necessarily increase an organism's fitness. Uh, so many people consider gene drives to be a novel application of genetic engineering. 
Uh, so over the course of these five sessions, the panelists considered a variety of tops, topics, and my co-author, Dr. Jason Delborn, and I prepared summaries of each discussion. Uh, and those summaries were structured around key takeaways. Um, they identified, they were, those key takeaways were identified through our own analysis and synthesis of the panels. Um, they don't necessarily reflect the exact views uh, or words of the panelists. Um, and the summaries are available alongside the recordings of the panels themselves. All right, next slide, please. Okay, so I wish that we had time to talk about all the panels, um, but instead I'll just zoom in on one of them. Um, so I'm gonna provide you with a brief summary and key takeaways from the panel discussion on field testing site selection. Um, so the selection of field testing sites uh, will be a crucial step in the future adoption or deployment of new gene drives. And researchers and developers tend to prioritize safety and efficacy parameters. Um, however, field sites do not occur in a vacuum and researchers don't always consider the social and political factors that are a natural part of conducting research within communities. Um, so as one panelist put it, one person's field site might be another person's home or ancestral lands. Uh, so the topics considered by the panelists included incorporating stakeholder engagement into decision-making, um, consent, and addressing power imbalances. Uh, and we summarized three key takeaways around those topics. Um, so key takeaway number one, stakeholder engagement can be incorporated into the site selection process in order to emphasize social community and political criteria that can then inform a more ethical and just approach to site selection. Uh, key takeaway number two, Obtaining individual informed consent, uh, while that is an established hallmark of, uh, or excuse me, an ethical hallmark of medical research, uh, gene drive researchers currently lack an analogous framework for obtaining community level consent. And key takeaway number three, power and organizational hierarchies. Uh, many of the panelists highlighted the need to account for colonial histories, power dynamics, and existing structures uh, as gene drives move through field trials and deployment. Um, that's it. Uh, yeah, let me know if you have more questions. Um, that's just a taste of my talk. And now we're gonna hear more about Sebastian's presentation. Thanks, thanks, Il. Sorry for uh, I got mixed up with some of the slides. A little carried away. So um, I also presented a, a you know, a, one of my research topics there in Mexico. So I am currently conducting research in Peru. So this is not a final uh, kind of like project. It's a project that is developing. So I'm just going to share some ideas about it. And it was really, for me, it was really interesting and humbling that a lot of people were asking questions about this. They were showing interest about uh, you know, uh, the topic about potato conservation in Peru. So I'm going to share some some thoughts and some ideas um, related to that. So in the next slide, I'm going to talk about uh, one of the partners that I am working with is the International Potato Center in Spanish is Centro Internacional de la Papa. So SIP. Uh, in Spanish, is a research for development center that was founded in Peru, but has headquarters and you know offices in different regions, as you see in the map, especially in you know in different countries in in Africa and in Asia, right? So, it's a research for development center, but it also is um, a kind of like a, um, a place in which. Uh, different stakeholders interact, uh, like uh, scientists, uh, government agencies, international donors, and of course, uh, groups of farmers that uh, have been historically partners of, of SIP over the years, right? So this is kind of like what I'm uh, interested in, in looking at the role of the International Potato Center in, in conservation, in, in uh, native potato conservation in Peru. 
uh, and how does it relate to all these partners and stakeholders in the country, you know, NGOs, um, groups of uh, farm custodian farmers and, and others, right? So in the next slides, uh, I'm just going to briefly talk about two events that I think kind of shaped um, current uh, events related to the importance of potato conservation in general. So those two events are the gastronomic boom and the current GMO moratorium in Peru. So uh, this idea that uh, biodiversity is part of identity, I think it's it's powerful and important to understand all the demands that you know farmers, scientists, and even politicians uh, have the expectations around biodiversity and also biotechnology. You know, um, these these are narratives that shaped a lot of these the ideas of biodiversity loss and biodiversity persistence, and I think uh, are currently you know behind uh, the interests, inter the multiple interests of of farmers, uh, scientists, and and you know government agencies and others. Right, so. Uh, the gastronomic boom uh, is is a is an event, a cultural event that uh, highlighted cuisine, the Peruvian cuisine, the national cuisine, as as as, as an important uh, cultural and economic product. So different sectors of of the of of, it, of of Peru have been participating on it, and the GMO moratorium has you know uh, extended uh, for 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 a long time in Peru more than over than 10 years. And this recently has shaped a lot of interest towards uh, biotechnology. So um, in the next slide, um, I just kind of summarize the, the main players around it. So we have the International Potato Center, we have the Bagnite Foundation, the uh, German Development Agency, uh, FAO, it has uh, agents, well, uh, experts in different regions such as Junín and Huancayo. Grupo Yanapai is actually another partner of my project. Grupo Yanapai is an NGO that works with uh, rural farmers, and they they work together with Aguapan. Aguapan is a farmer-led conservation uh, association that works with Grupo Yanapai and SIP. So they are working together to increase the 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 benefits that farmer gets from conservation and also increase the 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 data and information that that circulates through from the field to the gene bank in the international potato center so it's that's that's the relationship that i want to understand in in my project and of course you have the government of peru with different agencies and some universities and, and even uh, Miski Papa, which is a brand that sells uh, uh, native potatoes to different uh, uh, local markets inside Peru. Uh, well, finally, um, we wanted to kind of close with what other panels, uh, some of the panels that we attended uh, other than ours, our own panels. So these are some of the, some of the panels that we assisted. Uh, as you see, there are different topics. Um, there are topics related to COVID, you know, uh, related to the international internationalization of SDS, uh, and also uh, different different topics such as, for example, the history and poli politics of maize collection. Uh, there are research about seed banks and databases. There's also research about uh, research methods and emancipatory science. That's also uh, interesting for for us and we also had the opportunity to to attend to a, a meeting with the university of wisconsin washington, washington uh, madison i'm sorry and the tapuya tapuya is a latin american science and technology uh, journal so it was interesting because we we kind of had the opportunity to be there and also um, we went to this event that's called uh, in memoriam of bruno latour uh, and Bruno Latour was a prominent STS scholar that recently passed away. So it was very important for the, for the STS community as well. Um, so the next slide, um, you, do you mind reading some of the questions or something? Because we have some questions for the audience. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so we're happy to take uh, any questions, open questions, um, but we also wanted to provide a set of questions to guide you um, since we have a little bit of time. Uh, so the first question was what scientific and policy topics do you think should be covered more deeply by the social sciences? Our second question was, does your research intersect with STS scholarship? Why or why not? Are you familiar with research in the global South? Uh, have you ever published in another language or presented in another language? And if you have the chance to investigate a topic as a social scientist, what method would you choose and why? Um, so feel free again to, to use this script um, or if you already had a question formulating in your mind, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, and that was a great presentation. Thank you all. Um, Jason has his hand raised. Hi. Um, so uh, my question is is more about the conference and its impact on you as as young scholars. Um, I just wonder if you might comment on the ways in which you either sort of felt like this was this was reassuring to you because it it's a a community an intellectual community that you feel a part of. Um, or what parts of the conference sort of felt distant or unfamiliar or even unwelcoming to you? Um, so it's sort of the degree to which, you know, attending this kind of conference makes you feel like you have a broader intellectual community um, or not. Thanks. So I can start, uh, or Jill, if you want to start, just let me know. Yeah, so for me, it, it was uh, an important uh, moment to reconnect with other scholars in in that I know friends in in Mexico, in Chile, and in other places, and also I met uh, Peruvian scholars that are usually, um, you know, away in other places. So they are like they, it was an opportunity to reconnect with a lot of people. So I feel like I have a community there, but also, um, you know, for me as a kind of like an STS person or whatever. <laughs> I feel that I kind of have learned to navigate it through the years. So it was a process of kind of finding my way because I remember that when I attended, you know, my first conference, I, I was kind of lost in the beginning and it was kind of hard to find uh, people that work in similar topics. But now I feel I can have the confidence to do that. Uh, and also, uh, there were also, there are also kind of like bad experience overall. Uh, you can avoid that in any, I think, event. So for me, uh, there was, you know, uh, sometimes you have people that are not very prepared in some panels. And sometimes it, that's kind of, you know, you need to deal with that because you're waiting for the next person to talk. But in, that, in one particular conference that I, I, I assisted, it, it was really hard because uh, the, the presenter, the people that, like the person that was talking, uh, had you know very little toler tolerance for um like listening to others so it was kind of hard to kind of you know wait until the conference uh, like you know un until the you know speaker that i really wanted to you know attend so that, that was my uh bad experience in this this moment in the, in that in that in this forest so i just want to share that with you but i feel you know um I felt that this this conference overall, I think, because of the connections that I made in the past, I think it was a very important opportunity for for my growth as you know as a scholar. Uh, and I'll chime in as well. Um, this was my first social sciences conference. Uh, I've been to many uh, other conferences because my background is in the natural sciences, and what I noticed was that. Uh, I wanted to attend all the panels. Um, so that was uh, really validating, but also challenging. Uh, I really appreciated having Sebastian there because he has more personal connections um, and could identify, you know, like we should really go to this panel because of who's organizing it. Um, and so I was grateful for his insight. I think I would have missed some good talks. Um, I was a little disappointed with uh, some of the rooms were very small. And so the talk that I most wanted to go to, by the time I got there, there was already a line out the door and not everyone would fit. Um, and then because it was virtual and in person, 
uh, it really, some of the quality was lost in um, how the organizer was able to moderate both of those worlds. Um, some people did it beautifully, but it, it was challenging um, to, to, you know, walk in and have to, to, on top of all your responsibilities as a panel organizer, also try to navigate technology that you're not familiar with, computers you're not familiar with. Um, so that, I think that was a little bit of a challenge, but at the same time, it really increased participation and people that couldn't have been there, people that missed flights <laughs> were still able to present. Um, and then I just wanted to say a quick note about the, um, the three languages. I really appreciated the emphasis that was put on broadening the accessibility of the conference. Um, it was you know, an attempt to slightly shift the act of situating the global north as just the de facto epicenter of research. Um, and I think that that was really successful. Um, I attended talks that were in Spanish and I had the experience of, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish, but not enough to understand a whole talk. Um, and so that was, I think, an important component of this conference. And Well, I have a question. What type of feedback did you get on your presentations from the participants? Do you want to start, Jill, or Well, I'll just say that I attended Sebastian's talk, um, and I think he got the most questions <laughs> on his panel. Um, his research was, was really exciting for the audience, um, so I'll just say that. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think this was the first time that I had like a lot of people that wanted to ask questions. I don't remember every question, but uh, a lot of people were uh, interested about um, what happens with uh, uh, farmers in rural areas and how is that related to political movements as well. So now that a lot of people are aware or are beginning, beginning to be aware of what's happening in Peru, that's, I think that's an important kind of intersection of like, you know, culture and, you know, politics around conservation as well. So that, that's something that people were also reacting to. Um, they were asking about, um, if I remember correctly as well, as, um, I, I saw. I, I remember that we people were exciting about the connections between the gastronomic boom and how people in rural areas are reacting to that. So that's kind of like different, a different angle as well. And they were also uh, asking about um, one of the things that I I found. It's there's a platform that's called Wikipapa. It's it's basically an online uh, repository for uh, different types of 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 potatoes varieties. And this was also something that caught the attentions of, of the panel organizers as well, because they were uh, even smiling when I, I mentioned that that name. So, uh, yeah, so, and, and, and surprisingly, there was one person that uh, traveled to Peru and, and worked together with, with farmers, potato farmers in the highlands. So she was very uh, kind of moved by what I wanted to say about it. Uh, what I what I said about it. So so yeah, so some some I don't remember every question, but I I think I kind of gave like you know a general view of that. A question. Um, I guess my question is uh, was this mostly academic uh individuals or were there people from outside academia that could that were uh also speaking? And I'm just curious about what topics they were also talking about at the conference. Thanks. I'm really glad you asked that, Eric, because I had actually meant in my response to Jason's question to add that uh, one of the things that I found um, really interesting about this conference is that there were people participating from outside of academia. Um, there was a woman from uh, Mexico City there who also presented um, and her work had to do with healthcare centers and accessibility. Um, and 
So it was cool to see that people outside of academia were engaging with the conference in in such a authentic and um, you know pretty robust way. As both you know, she was someone at panels asking questions, taking notes, but also presenting and sharing things from her world. Um, yes, Nolan. Yeah, um, I will. Uh, I know, like, we talked a little bit um, about method yesterday, um, and I see the question about method here in, in number four on the screen. So I was wondering if, like, what sorts of insights or um, what did you all learn or take away in terms of, of methods from going to, to different panels? I mean, what are what sort of the range of methods that you saw um, or, um, you know, what 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 did you come away with um, around methods from the conference? Because I don't know, big conferences like that I've been to, it's you see like the whole kind of gamut of things that people can do. Yeah, so thank thank you, Nolan. So I would say that there's a not not only in this conference, but I think there's a, a an important influence of historical analysis methods in forest conference. There are strong groups uh, in other universities that are historians of science, and they use historical methods to analyze and present their their uh, research. Um, but I think that uh, I remember that in a panel that we went together with Julie was about uh, this uh, section about emancipatory methods or something like that. It focused a lot on collaboration, and I like I like it in the most part because it acknowledged the messy reality of collaboration and, and the person you know presenting that was very honest about all the difficulties and challenges she kind of went through from the beginning of her project to a kind of the end and she was very you know honest about it and, and I think sometimes like when we see these types of presentations we see like the final picture and we don't see all the steps all the kind of mistakes or you know that that the researcher goes through so I think that, you know, acknowledging that all those, you know, when I as a like, person that work, you know, with, you know, different types of, you know, people from different backgrounds, often face-to-face -face conversation, I think that should be something that is important to for us to reflect because we are not, at least I think we are not neutral, you know, when we interact with people, we, we often get... Uh, something from it and, and the people also kind of react to our presence so but when we attend to the conference that's not not necessarily shown you know so i i really like this uh, presentation about it other methods uh, were more like um, uh, for example comparing different kind of data sets so it's not just interviews and observation but also they have like access to databases or like images about you know specific things that they wanted to show. So this idea of like using visual visual um, elements and also like multimedia and also different databases to combine it with qualitative methods, I think that's also very very important. And there were also uh, people that were thinking about using more uh, kind of uh, methods related to maybe data science or something at some point. Uh, and, and, and I think that also there is like, there is like a huge movement towards thinking critically about apps and those who develop apps. So I think there, there, that's also like a new kind of way of like thinking about the methods for analyzing those those kind of challenges. Um, yeah, but that, that was my impression. Jill, did you have anything to add to that question? I think that was a pretty thorough, awesome answer. Um, but just that there there were also uh, attempts at kind of so-called mixed methods. Um, we attended a talk on salmon fisheries where she was pulling um, from a lot of, you know, more scientific rational analysis and combining that um, with other methods. Um, there was a great policy analysis um, of uh, Japan or that took place in Japan um, and over their government's um, program around uh, genetically modified tomatoes. Um, so that that was just a really different talk. Um, those two, you know, 
just kind of show the breadth of the conference. Okay, I see Chris has his hand raised. Chris, would you like to unmute yourself? Absolutely. So I noticed this was a second joint meeting for the 4D, is that correct? So this this is not the second 4S conference, but it was the second joint meeting um, with the Latin American organization. And the first one was held some years back. Awesome. Um, and this might be a question you may not have much inference on, that's okay. Um, did you receive any type of insinuation or any type of indication that this second joint meeting had improved from the first joint meeting? Uh, anything around the guys like, oh, this is actually an improvement or we've gained more from the second joint meeting, anything like that? So, so the thing is that uh, I forgot to kind of explain it uh, a little bit more because of time. So you have 4S that is kind of like the more kind of global US, you know, more US based on Europe. And you have SOCITE that is more like, like the Latin American type of kind of conference. And uh, as uh, there has been few attempts to kind of do it together. So the idea of doing it together, I think that was the new the new thing about you know this conference, and it was the second time. The first time was in Buenos Aires in 2014, and the idea was to uh, kind of acknowledge uh, scholars from from Latin America and the global south, and and I think that that the idea is also to kind of like uh, uh, make accessible resources. Uh, for people that are doing research uh, in Latin America, like journals or like, you know, different types of topics as well. So for example, as we mentioned before, there's a journal that's called Tapuya. Tapuya is a journal in English that talks about uh, science and technology studies in Latin America. And it's a recent journal. And a lot of people uh, that have a, 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 you know, a background in STS that speak Spanish, uh, publish in English, therefore, you know, English speaking, like English, like people that speak English, like that want to know about what's what's going on. So that that I think that was that was the intention. Uh, and yeah, so but you know this year conference like Forest 2023, I think is going to be in the U.S. in Hawaii. So you know it's not that you know every year you have, you know. So that that's that's kind of what I I wanted to mention. But thank you for let, let, letting us know about that. Okay, I have uh, another question, actually. I had a conversation recently with some natural scientists uh, from um, uh, Central and South America, and they were telling me that to be a biologist in their countries, essentially they have to be fluent in English. And so I'm wondering if that is a similar situation in the humanities and if a trilingual conference such as this can increase access to non-English speakers or um I mean you talked about that a little bit but if you could maybe uh speak on that more specifically yeah so um at least based on my experience uh there's a lot of production uh like of papers and, and books in Spanish, in the social science in Latin America for a lot of time. It's a very rich production with a lot of like very kind of research. And, and the problem is that uh, if you are, a, for example, if you are a US-based scholar and you don't know Spanish, uh, it's very difficult to access those publications uh, because some of those books are not uh, in, you know, science, uh, web of science or all these databases. And it's it's very difficult to kind of have it uh, if you're a US-based scholar to kind of ship it to your house or something. So you need to kind of move around or maybe ask around. Now I think it's it's kind of easier with this system that you can kind of borrow resources for different universities as well, but not you know. For example, I I wanted to to kind of request a, a book for my project, for my dissertation, but it was not in the NC State Library. So I had to request from another university, right? So all these things kind of like, I think there is like, there's there's this there's this attempt from the Global South organizations that acknowledging that knowledge exists outside, you know, important knowledge exists outside the Northern kind of, you know, and, and increasing the bridges and, and the access, right? So, 
there are also uh, people in the humanities and social sciences that speak English and publish in English and, you know, but it's kind of, I, I think, based on my experience, it's like a slower transition because uh, not necessarily uh, it's a, a, a requisite, like a prerequisite to be a full professor to publish a lot. So that's changing, but usually a lot of uh, universities in, in Latin America have this more focus on teaching. So increasing your publications doesn't really, uh, you know, it, it was not something as important as keeping your, your you know, position as a professor. That's changing a lot, you know, and of course this varies of country to country, but usually you have this, this type of impediment. But the people that publishes some books and, and papers in Spanish have, you know, produced a lot of, a lot of things. And also the, the writing is a little bit different. And, and the idea, and also there's a connection between Latin America and Europe. So a lot of Latin American scholars in the social sciences use scholars from uh, Europe a lot, like French scholars and, you know, mostly French scholars as well. So it's a, it's a connection between, between them. Uh, and yeah, so that's, but there's are you know, things are changing a lot. So I think it's a good moment to kind of pay attention to, to those things as well. Well, Sebastian and Jill, do y'all want to more specifically ask your questions to the audience? Maybe like a, like a raise your hand type of thing? Because I, I think you're, the questions you have posed are interesting. Um, and anyway, I, I was wondering if maybe we asked the, you know, like, are you familiar? And if people, you know, raise their hand, then we could get a sense of um, what our audience um, knows. Sure. Um, well, why don't we start with the first question then? Um, and what scientific um, or Jennifer? I'm sorry. Did you mean specifically the third question? No, I just the uh, one that would be easy. Ask it in a way that it's a yes or no type thing. Okay, okay let's go with number two then. Um, and I know that some of our audience uh, would certainly consider themselves a part of the STS world. Um, but does your research intersect with STS scholarship? Yeah, so we're seeing about six, seven. Yeah. I think we got about seven out of 23. So that's a pretty, you know, 30% or so. That's um that's pretty good. Great. Um, are you familiar with research in the global south? And maybe to make that more specific, um, have you interacted directly with research in the global south, whether that's you know, requesting a publication or a book um, or collaborating with a researcher, um, some kind of direct, you know, beyond just being familiar, but have you directly interacted with research outside the global north? We could say it that way too. Okay, it looks like we've got um, well, a little bit more than last time, about eight as people are raising their hands. So um, again, about a third, 30%, but different people, I'll, I'll, I'll add, not the same people. And how about for the second part of that one, have you ever published in another language? So another meaning not your primary language? Uh, or have you ever presented or translated a presentation into another language? Well, Don, our co-host, is the only one who has done that. We should uh, celebrate that, Don, and you should teach us how to do better. Yeah, so I, what I wanted to say about that is, yes, just that, well, thank you for everyone for participating. And and this was actually like one of the topics of one of the panels that we assisted, like, like the differences between, you know, publishing, participating, knowing, you know, and, and that's, I think it's interesting because it says, it says a lot about our community as well here in the GES. So thank you for your participation and 
and and you know there's i just wanted to say that you know there are different exciting opportunities you know to work with people outside the you know the global north and usually people are very eager to collaborate with uh, us scholars you know uh, there's not like i think that the, um, the impediment is the language well you know but other than that i think you know there's there's a good opportunity to do that as well yeah yeah and I uh, just add a comment that, you know, I work with, collaborate with people in Peru and um, the language, the help, I'm not fluent in Spanish at all. And the language translations and translators and tools that are now available make it so much easier um, to bridge those gaps of communication. I've got a quick question for Sebastian. We know we have about two minutes here. Um, Sebastian, I noticed in one of your quotes in the slides, uh, you have um, narratives about biodiversity loss and persistence rekindled relevance of potato biodiversity conservation in Peru. And that was a quote by Montenegro in 2016. Was that Maiwa Montenegro? Yes. Yes. So she's a, a scholar based in UC Santa Cruz, right? And she was a pa panel organizer of, of my, you know, of my on my panel and and she was very you know very well organized very you know so i i really appreciate her uh, her thoughtfulness and she's also she wrote also a great paper you know so yeah I, I just wanted to let everyone know that i've been in touch with her this semester she was on sabbatical but she will be presenting at colloquium next semester so we will get a chance to talk with her we don't know if it's virtual or in person but um she um, she will be with us next semester. So I just wanted to see if that was the same person. And good yes. to know you have that connection also. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think we're approaching time. So I just want to remind everyone that next week we will be virtual, but the following week on February 2nd, we will be in person. Um, but next week, virtual. Um, thank you for coming and help me thank Jill and Sebastian for a really interesting presentation about their experience at the conference. Okay, thank you guys. We'll see you next week.